Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. Welcome back to Just Think, the podcast. This is Holly. And Amy. And Kristen. And today we're going to be talking about education. Your children's, grandchildren's, future children, future grandchildren's educations, particularly in the public school setting. And what is really going on? Because if you are like many of us, and I know Kristen, Amy, and I would all say, sometimes we're not sure what's going on. We're not really sure what's happening in a lot of the educational systems. But what we can say with pretty good certainty is that what is going on here locally, and we're gonna start with our conversation here locally today, we know it's happening across the country. In 2021, there was a huge election in the state of Virginia, a state that is known as a purple state. I think it's been a pretty blue state for a little while, but it was historically red. And in that state, in the gubernatorial race, something happened that was a surprise to many. Glenn Youngkin, who was the Republican running against the incumbent, Terry McAuliffe, who was a Democrat, he was not winning the race or he was not winning in the polls for quite some time until the topic of our children's educations and what's being taught in schools and parents starting to show up at school board meetings. What happened when children showed up at, at when, when parents showed up at these school board meetings? Well, the Biden administration eventually said, we need to look into the possibility of them being deemed domestic terrorists. I mean, being looked into by the FBI. They later retracted and pushed off of that statement. But what is it was a it was a mission nonetheless for a period of time, if not still is. And what we saw was parents showing up in droves to defend, protect their children from the local school boards (laughs) and from the current educational system, a system that we all as taxpayers pay into, right? And that we, most of us expect our children will partake in, but times are different. And we are sitting in a time where parents have awakened. The mama bears and papa bears have aroused from their sleep. And we have two of those mama bears on with us today who frankly know a lot more than Kristen, Amy, and I do about (laughs) what's going on in the educational system and specifically in New Hanover County, North Carolina, where Kristen and Amy live. Now we're gonna talk about New Hanover County, but parents, we're telling you, because we know we have people listening all around the globe, wherever you are, you need to know what's going on. And you need to know a lot of this stuff is not in any way relegated to just 
New Hanover County. So with us today is Chelsea Cooley. She was a former Miss USA from 2005. I think we found her because of the Candace Owens show where she was interviewed. She's a mother and entrepreneur. And Josie Barnhart, who is a mom of three, a former teacher, and she is running for school board because she wants to help make things right. So we're going to be talking to these two ladies today, but I'm going to turn this over to Kristen and Amy for a second to really kick us off and say, why did you ladies want to have them on? Well, um, if you've been following us in our podcast for a while, you know that uh, back over last summer, we were having a normal summer. We were feeling like, oh, we're, we're getting through COVID. This is going to be great. Our kids are going to summer camps, all is well. And then- I hadn't had a mask on since April. Yeah. And then all of a before. sudden, <laughs> like August, what, like a week before school? It was mm -hmm. something crazy. They voted to put masks on the kids for the 2021-22 school year. And that was really our line in the sand. I mean, there are a lot of other things and, and all the other things that these ladies are going to talk about today are, are more reasons why we're like, oh my God, what's going on? But the masks for us was the line in the sand. We refused to um, let our kids feel like this is normal and be breathing in their own air all day long. We'd rather just find something else to do. So we actually pulled our kids out. However, um, our kids may be returning at some point into public school. And we do care about our county. And believe me, like, if this is happening in little old Wilmington, North Carolina, then you know what's happening everywhere. And so when we saw, um, we've known Josie for a while. We actually met her at some of the meetings before we pulled our kids out of school. Um, there were some local meetings and we heard her speak and she, she just knows so much about what's really being taught in schools. And then with Chelsea, we're huge fans of Candace Owens. Love her. She just is always dropping truth bombs and she's just super factual and, and doesn't try to get into the emotional side of anything. She just literally tells facts about things when we saw that she interviewed Chelsea and that Chelsea lives here in Wilmington along with us then we said oh we got to talk to her so mm -hmm. these two these two ladies know their stuff about what's going on inside of our school system specifically so I think we want to know and I just want to throw this out too that like just to remind y'all if you haven't heard us talk about this we literally were the ones that we just dumped our kids off at school oh. and said bye yeah and then picked them up <laughs> have fun Thank you for taking my yes. kids for six hours. Love you. See you later. And we thought that it was like just this safe, fun environment because truly it was, or we thought it was. And that's how I was, or I, that's how I felt growing up, going to school, you know? So it was never an issue. And when I would hear people talk about it, we were, I was always like, that's not happening here. That's happening over there. That's happening in California. That's happening over there in Virginia, you know? But it truly was, once we started, it, this is where the blessing of 2020 comes in mm -hmm. because it did open our eyes and it woke us up because we had never been to a parent meeting with school no. <laughs> like with, like with the masks we, we actually went to school board we went to a rally a mass rally that's when I saw you Josie and then we started going to some of these parent meetings and that's when we started learning oh my gosh so it wasn't just like yes the mask was our line in the sand but then we started learning all these other things and we're like okay this is a lot more reasons for us to pull our kids Right. That's right. That's right. And we want to fix it. We want to fix it. We, we don't want it to right. stay this way. And that's yeah. why we're, we're thankful for these mama bears we're talking to today because they're major, you know, in the fight to, to help turn this around. Well, Chelsea, let's start with you. Uh, since some people might recognize you from being on Candace's show. Um, as a mom, as an entrepreneur, I'm sure it's not like you thought, oh, I have all this time on my hands. Let's go <laughs> fight. Let me go throw myself into this horribly violent arena, <laughs> not, <laughs> not violent, even though they're saying, yeah. but, but certainly, 
you know, it is, it is a, it is not a peaceful arena right now. What made you say, I can't be quiet and I can't sit here with my head in the sand or do nothing. What, tell us your story. You know, just to touch on and thank you guys so much for having me on your podcast. Thank you for taking the clip of that and putting it on your Rumble account, because the more people can see and be educated, the more parents will step up and start asking questions. And that is paramount. So thank you all so much for doing that and for having me on. You know, I think just as you guys said, when COVID hit and now we are forced to see what our children are being taught and we were thrown into being at home teachers helping to facilitate, you know, it, it opened our eyes to a lot. And we got to see firsthand really and truly how our children learn what works best for them and how the system was failing them. Not necessarily the teachers, um, because I'm a huge advocate. We have a lot of amazing teachers, but how the system, our leadership within the school board was failing. And so I had a lot of heartburn with, you know, not sending our kids back in person. My son was in kindergarten, five years old, having to do online learning. It, I don't know how his teacher, whom I adore, I don't know how she did it. It was so difficult. Um, and, and having to mask up and, and, and it was just, it, there was a lot of heartburn that I had with that, that I felt like I just kept you know, trudging through. And so then when my daughter started middle school back in the fall, I knew with her going into middle school that I was going to have a very keen, um, intentional approach to that because she's a girl going into middle school. And so I had tuned my senses up to that just a few weeks ago when I had a, a friend that's a former educator here in New Hanover County send me information about a gender support plan and what they may or may not choose to tell parents, here's my stance. How you do anything is how you would do everything. And if you're implementing a program that is a year and a half in and you think it's okay to cherry pick what you tell parents, I am simply not okay with that. And enough is enough. The gloves are coming off. I, I'm not, I, I just cannot sit back. Then I recall the information that um, I had gone back and forth with, with Jarrell Lewis, our Title IX coordinator, you know, six, seven months ago about a Title IX survey. And I'm like, wait a second. He told me I couldn't have information then about it. So then you just start recalling things like, wait a second. And so that's when I knew and going on the Candace Owen show, I knew that, that I was going to be stepping into that arena. I knew that there was no turning back. And if I was going to do it, I was going to go all in, not just for my kids, but for your kids as well. And I just had a friend of mine that lives in Ohio text me last night. Um, our daughters are the same age. And she goes, oh yeah, she just brought home. She has the same survey that your daughter took with the same language on it. And we knew nothing about it. So, you know, you're right. This is not just happening in New Hanover County, but if we can bring light to what is happening here, it will start a movement across the country where parents will know the right kinds of questions to ask. They, well, and that is exactly what we want. We want to empower moms and dads, future moms and dads, grandparents with information. Because as she just explained, we don't know everything that's happening internally and that's intentional on their part. Okay, not everything is being disclosed, but it should be, right? Because this I was gonna say, Chelsea, before we move on from this, I want you to tell us some of the questions because I know some people probably have watched your Candace Owens interview, but some people may not have seen that yet. Like, can you just give us an example of some of the, because your daughter was 11 at this time, right? When she got this survey, 
like what were some of the questions that you saw that she was being asked to answer? Well, here was the problem with it from day one. So we get a weekly newsletter from my daughter's middle school. I'm a geek. I read it all. I mean, she's in sixth grade. Like I'm going to know what's going on with her in middle school, right? Especially in this social media day and age. And so they had mentioned that the Title IX survey would be given out. Now in that, it said that it was a climate survey and that they were thankful for all of the students' involvement. So I called the school and asked them, can, can I review it? And they didn't have it in their possession yet because it was being administered by the district. And they said, you need to contact Jarrell Lewis, the Title IX coordinator. Great. I have no problem reaching out to him. Sent him an email. He tells me that he's not at liberty to give it to me, which is in direct violation of the law. Sends me on a wild goose chase. And the only way I could find it was digging through a meeting um, that they had six months prior with the school board. And it was over a three hour meeting. Now, mind you, the meeting notes and agenda were never posted for this. So I physically could not pull it off of the internet and had to look at it and take still frame shots from a Zoom meeting, okay? So in that, number one, they when they when they first put the information in, they say that, okay, well, it's gonna be anonymous, but it's not. The student has to put their school assigned email address in there. This is for middle and high school students across the board in our New Hanover County District. Then they go in to ask the gender. When they start asking gender, there are seven different options to give them, one of them being a two-spirit gender. I have now learned that that is a non-binary term for Native Americans, but I have a lot of very close friends that are Lumbee Indian um, that are close to me like family that had no idea, grown adults, what two-spirit is. How is my 11-year-old supposed to know that? And why should she even be questioning that? So that in itself, I'm like, this is content that she should not be concerned about. Then when you go on to the next page, before the question starts, there is a paragraph explaining different types of sexual assault and sexual abuse. One being pornography. My daughter doesn't know what that is nor am I going to explain that to her. I don't care. She's 18 years old. I don't think she needs to know what that is. Then it goes into the third half of the survey talking about, well, are you the one doing the sexual assault? Are you kidding me? It is one of the most poorly constructed measures to combat the sexual abuse claims that we have had and incidents in this county for two decades. It is appalling that they would put so much time and resource and money. I mean, I've right. dove so deep into it. They hired an outside um, independent data firm to, to construct this out of California. There's no telling how much money they spent on that. The data was not released until February of this year, yet they're implementing programs. Okay, my, let's, let's follow the train. Okay, when you follow the money, you find every answer you need. They started implementing a gender support plan in October of 2020 because it fit it because they're, you know, all these kids are being harassed and, you know, they've got to do it to protect the kids. Okay. So you're implementing that in 2020. You have a meeting with the gender, with the Title IX survey in May of 2021. You implement the survey in November of 2021, and you don't get the data from that survey until February of 2022, of which 38% of our student population was not represented. My daughter didn't even understand what she was filling out. So how accurate is the data? You're spending money that we don't have. And then I have an email from Jarrell Lewis saying that our own Title IX investigator doesn't need to be um, concerned or knowledgeable on the transgender and LGBTQ plus community because it doesn't fit the needs of our county. I mean, my mind is blown with the inaccuracies 
of what's happening. We're, we're spending a year and a half of resources. Teachers are being taught on this in January of 2021 and our academic numbers across the board are plummeting. Yeah, like what happened so, to math and reading? Just can we just reading, writing and arithmetic people? Come on. I mean, like, <laughs> what is all this? Well, we should point out that reading, writing and arithmetic has dropped uh, right. significantly, right? And I know Josie's probably going to be able to speak to y'all some of this too. We'll get her in a second. But the, the, the fact that our students aren't getting better at school while we're investing in things, which I feel like, and again, we can talk about this later, kind, teaching children kindness for differences would, would is, is kind of weird. It would cover a lot of things, would it not? If you just say, somebody's going to look different, act different, think different than you, you should still be kind to them. If you're not kind to them, there will be consequences. The end. Yeah, the end. Right, the right, end. But we right. have so overcomplicated it and then but, and found reasons to invest so much money and hire all these diversity and inclusion and uh, Title IX is this guy elected this Terrell Owens or I mean Terrell Lewis sorry Terrell Lewis, Lewis. <laughs> I mean, not Owens is this Terrell Lewis guy uh, is he elected no hired. So Terrell Lewis was hired as was John Henry our title IX investigator so they were hired in the midst of the pandemic I don't know when Terrell was hired I know that John Henry was hired and came on board in November of 2020 okay so we're allocating funds and pulling together a 22-person Title IX committee. And it just, it listen, I, I'm with you, Holly, you know, kindness and being kind to everyone across the board, and there's consequences if you're not. I stand on that all day, every day, and twice on Sundays. What I don't stand on is misappropriations of funds and power to fund your own personal agenda at the expense of all of our children. It doesn't cost money to teach kindness. It does not. Right. I mean, it doesn't. <laughs> no, no. It's called the standard of behavior that's expected at school. And if you don't meet the exactly. standard, there's consequences. The end. That's literally the way it should be. I've never, and that's, in the, that goes with bullying, all these other things, these movements we've had. If it's happening, discipline the child who's, who's breaking the rule. Right. I mean, what, but we don't do that apparently anymore. Okay. Anyway, all right. I, we've got to continue this conversation, but I want to bring Josie into it. So everybody knows who Josie is and how she got involved. Cause I know she can contribute significantly to everything we're talking about. I know both of you can. So Josie, how did you get involved in all of this? So I became very vocal and like um, Kristen said, I, I got involved in a rally to reopen our schools. And I started saying my background is teaching at, um, in high risk circumstances. And so when the shutdown happened, I knew that those kids had the biggest targets on their back because what education provides is an opportunity to better your life. And so I support having a high quality, merit-based, academic, unbiased, education for our children. And so I knew the biggest disconnect for me and the hardships were going to be at large at those kids. And we're seeing it now, unfortunately, two years from, you know, two years have gone by and we can see the juvenile crime rate has significantly gone up because let's think about it. The gang activity in our County, who do they go after? They went after the people who had nobody there for support. And so we're seeing a juvenile violence skyrocket everywhere. If you talk to our middle school and high school families, uh, the amount of threats, violence, bullying, a shooting happened at the beginning of this year is horrific. And it makes me really upset because 
um, it was justified in the name of safety for school closures. It was justified um, and we were bullied and harassed and intimidated as parents to say, shut up, essentially stop talking. You don't know what you're talking about. And so I got really, I got really passionate and I tried to be, um, I tried to be very intentional with how I worded things because I do understand there, we do have a small population of children who were more at risk of COVID and things. So I think a virtual option was a great setting, but at large for education, it was not a good choice. And so if we can objectively say, what is the purpose of public schools? And the purpose is quality education. And so if we're looking at a decision-making process and we back it up and we say, was this good for education? If the answer is no, then stop doing it. And so um, I started speaking up and I got more involved and more involved. And um, when they kept blaming the state, I started calling state legislatures and officials. And I started saying, hey, we gotta fix this. How can we mix this toolkit? Because the toolkit at large uh, was a lot of the issues. And so I started fighting and just filling the loopholes in with those issues. Um, and Cooper has elected a few people on the education committee. I shouldn't say elected, he has selected this and is he, Governor Cooper of North Carolina. For those who are tuning in, this would be uh, North Carolina's governor appointing these people. Got it. Right. And so um, one of the people that he appointed is the president of the NCAE, Tamika Walker-Kelly. And so she was a very vocal advocate at openly berating parents who had the audacity to speak up for their children. Um, she would say, you know, we want to kill teachers and students. You were white privileged. If you wanted schools to be open, you just needed a babysitter and really openly led the charge and pushback. And there's even a tweet that she posted that there's no such thing as learning loss. Um, with all due respect, if these are the people in charge at our state level making decisions for education, I think we should all sit and just kind of question, raise some eyebrows and say, this is the person that we want decisions for academic educational growth, but she is one of the people in charge of it. And so at large, we have a, we have a, a base, a New Hanover County Association of Educators, and a lot of the pushback and the narratives that we were fighting against as parents came from this organization. And so that was really frustrating for me because last Last numbers that were released, I think the NCAE made up less than 17% of our teacher population. So I'm not against teachers, but when we have an active teachers union um, openly berating and belittling parents who are choosing to engage in conversation, I'm going to continue to question and continue to speak up because that's not fair. Right now, and my background in, in teaching, I uploaded every single lesson, every single content. My parents had access to it. They knew exactly what I was teaching when I was teaching it. They had an open door policy. You could come into my room whenever because I was teaching your kids and I wanted you to support me to teach your kids. And so my background is math, um, probably less controversial than some of the other topics, but um, I was very intentional about having my parents involved because I know to help kids be academically successful, you have to support them. And I wanted to give my parents the tools that they could, that they needed to support their children academically. And I, I stand by that still. I love this. Okay. Can you answer a question for me? Because we want to talk about these teacher teachers unions and, and Chelsea, you may have the answer as well. Um, the NCAE is the teachers union here in North Carolina. And my question to you is, number one, can not every teacher is a member of the NCAE, right? Is this something they pay into as a union? 
they pay into it. And last I had checked into it, it's an automatic withdrawal from your paycheck. And you have to formally go to their website. If you don't want to be a part of it, you have to like unenroll and fill out forms to not be a part of it. So it's like an automatic um, paycheck. And they have activists um, in different, and I don't know who the paid position is, if there is one here in New Hanover County, but all over the state, they have different people advocating for them. And I support better teacher pay and TA pay. I've gone to our county commissioners for that. But with that, it comes accountability and that accountability is to academic growth. And so um, I, I stand by both of those statements. I do. I'm going to advocate for better teacher pay, better TA pay, but I'm also going to hold uh, accountable to, I want to see those numbers improving with our students. Okay. And then uh, agreed. I think that's something we all feel passionate about because we are very, and, and listen, 2020 made us real thankful for our teachers, right? Because we were like, Lord, have mercy. I don't want to keep doing this. Um, yeah. The NCAE, and and that is Tamika Walker-Kelly is the president of the NCAE. And did you say only 17% of teachers are a part of that union? That was the last number that I that I heard. And this was pre-pandemic. Okay. Um, with, the, with the discourse that that organization openly berated parents, I do feel there's a number of teachers who dropped from that organization because it became a power struggle. And it really became... Um, it really became evident that there was other intentions behind the justification for keeping our uh, kids out of school. And I don't think all teachers appreciated that narrative. Well, Johns Hopkins University came out and said the lockdowns and school closures were detrimental, devastating to children. Okay, this is an independent assessment on their part. I think at this point, most people left, right and center agree it was a bad idea. Right. Mm -hmm. So my question would I would love to hear from both of you on this. Why do you think North Carolina continued to mask and then, of course, try to delay school closures if a whole lot of us parents and teachers believed it was good and necessary and right to get back into the classroom and to unmask the children? What took so long? Hey, can I just interrupt just one second? Because, but I wanted to bring this up before I forget when Josie said she's a math teacher. I do want to definitely go on to that, but and that it wouldn't really affect what was going on. I mean, not really affect, but not as much as the others. Someone posted this, a mom on this is on Instagram. She actually showed a math problem, math in their school where they are um, in, introducing, like slipping it, doing the slip in of CRT. Hmm. Like one of the questions says, uh, it, it was about Maya Angelou and it was Angelo was sexually abused by her mother's blank at age eight, which shaped her career choices and motivating for writing. And then there was an answer for ABC, boyfriend, brother, father, but with numbers beside it. So like they do a math problem, problem with a number, but also have boyfriend, brother or father. The second question says, trying to support her son as a single mother, she worked as a pimp, prostitute and blank. And again, these are the, this is a math problem, math tests. The, and I think she said this, her daughter was in ninth grade. So oh just wanted to throw that out there that it's everywhere. It doesn't matter what subject. It doesn't matter there. It's like that subliminal message, you know, like, I guess like at the movies or something where you've heard, like where they're like, they are, they're slipping in where you don't really realize it. So now we can go on to the lockdown, but I just wanted to point that out. Well, mm -hmm. well, what I want to thank you, Kristen, what I wanted to, to understand here is if a whole lot of people certainly do not agree with the way the school board's handling things. What took so long for those in charge to do the right thing? What, what would be your assessment as two women who have been in the fight, 
have been involved or, or been aware of what's going on? What's your assessment? What took so long? I think our education system as a whole and our leaders are overly politicized. I think they have made everything such a partisan issue. And if I'm wearing my mask in a private Zoom and nobody's in the room with me, then I'm making a stand for something when you look like an idiot because there's nobody (laughs) in the room with you. So who are you protecting yourself from and against? I don't understand that. We have weaponized our positions to push a political agenda again all at the expense of our children. There were emails, and I have to dig back into this because I don't want to speculate and I don't want to speak out of turn, but I know for a fact prior to our last presidential election that there were current school board members that were not letting the masks off the kids here in the county. They were not letting them back in because all the Trump supporters were going to have everybody in hospitals. I mean, when did he become a part of what we're doing here in New Hanover County. Do you see what I'm saying? So I know that it has been a political weapon to show we're left or we're right. And that has to stop because uh-huh. you cannot say that the children are the majority stakeholders and we're all for the kids when you have a known agenda. I did a phone call with Stephanie Adams um, the other day. She lives in my neighborhood. We did a phone call. I did record the call because by law, I'm allowed to do that. And she said on the phone call that everyone on this board has an agenda. So how can you be for the children if you're for yourself first? And so I think that is the majority of the issue that we are seeing over and over and over again. And um, and that's why they don't care what parents say. That's why they want to only give you two minutes to speak at the school board. Heaven forbid they ask a, a follow-up question to an issue you bring to them. They don't really want to know what you have to say. They don't really want to engage in meaningful dialogue with you. But um, and, and I think that's where it has to stop because, again, the, the, the main person that suffers is the child, is the student. And it, we have got to make education a nonpartisan issue. Amen. For real. And I agree. And I really, I dove into um, the breakdown. So in the presentation, when they were presenting COVID data, there was never a metric for low spread It all. It started off as moderate spread. Um, they grouped all of the children from kindergarten to 12th grade together and told us total numbers, but we didn't break it down to elementary, middle and high school. And so I worked with groups to help the data be better represented because uh, there was a start that the elementary schools were the only opportunity to be in-person learning. And so I said, this is where we need to focus our target on um, and to say, where's the spread happening? A lot of the spread was happening in sport, not in classroom. Well, that's a different thing. You know, if we're talking about having our kids in the classroom. And so I started reaching out to all over the country and I got, I got responses from Florida, from Ohio, from Tennessee and Texas. And I asked for their protocols in which that they were doing such that they, they stayed open. And then I said, I wanted to see their numbers. And I submit, I, I passed that along to our entire board. Cause I said, here's the thing we're, we're acting like we're in a vacuum. We are not in a vacuum. Um, we are in the state of North Carolina. Um, but what really got me was depending on where you live would, would depend on whether or not you got a quality sound education. And that's just messed up. Um, just like these ladies, I thought about, I'm enrolling my children and I'm very passionate about this statement. If I think something should be changed, then I'm going to be a part of the solution to make that change happen. And I think I have lived into that and to those actions for the last year and a half. I have openly talked with my principal and my teachers when I disagree with something. Um, and it doesn't mean I don't support them. I just, I just dropped off cupcakes as a PTO representative to our staff. Um, 
but they know if Josie Barnhart has an issue that she's going to speak her mind and I'm going to do it out of respect, not only for my children, but for the per, per, the profession of what education is supposed to be. And so um, I, I really, I was really frustrated by just the same thing. And truthfully, one of the board members and the toxicity of her voice towards parents who have the audacity to speak out is probably the reason why I'm sitting here running a political campaign today, because I said, this person should not be um, who is representing our county? If you are openly okay with, um, and and I don't care what political affiliation you are, but to openly call anybody who had a different opinion as an alt right, a Trump supporter, a this, a that, when I'm speaking on behalf of my children who have right. struggled in the lockdown, and so. Well, what we have learned um, repeatedly through every topic of conversation we've had since we started this podcast almost a year ago. It doesn't matter the topic. If someone cannot argue with facts, with data, with your point, if they don't have a counterpoint that's based in fact, they then try to categorize you in a way that is not a favorable light to discredit you. So in other words, you get caught things, you get called things like a Trump supporter or a racist or, um, you know, whatever they, whatever term they can come up with, a bigot to try to discredit what you're saying because they cannot counter your point. And if you can't, we, Amy says it all the time, if you can't attack the subject, you attack the person. And mm -hmm. that should be everybody's clue. If it starts to get personal and they start trying to categorize you or anyone else as this, that, or the other, pay attention. That's your red flag. You're gonna see it in the media a lot. You ever look at reporting now? The reporting is, you know, this far right, this alt right, this, they, they're always trying to throw that in where I think personally, and I know a lot of conservatives growing up in conservative circles, I think a lot of conservatives aren't in the box. They, they see yeah. many of us left, right, center, we see different topics in a myriad of ways, but they want to categorize you so that they can demonize you. And that's, mm -hmm. the, that, that's what we've got to stop. And we got to call it out when we see it. Agreed. Right? Well, you guys, well, and it, it, you know, just, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to no, say no, at the school board meeting last night because I was on the docket to speak. And, you know, before they do the call to the audience, um, Stephanie Craybill makes a very big statement saying, you know, if you have a concern, we want you to go to the lowest possible person, which I, I don't understand that thought process. I'm, I'm going to go to the person that can make decisions. Um, but we want you to go to the appropriate channel before you ever go to the media. And I mean, she spent two to three minutes talking about that. And I was like, I think that's directed at me. <laughs> Um, you know, and so you're seeing it happen, even in what is supposed to be a professional setting. Um, yet I have yet to hear an open statement from her because she is one of the main ones that pushed this Title IX survey. Um, you know, so I welcome the dialogue if she would like to have an intelligent, um, open discussion for the public to see instead of berating me. Uh, of course, I mean, hello, it was the big pink elephant in the room last night, you know, um, and I think that has to stop. That rhetoric has to stop. Well, when the lowest person, you know, I don't even know what that means, like you said, either. Um, but if they're not going to listen, you're going to go to somewhere who's going to listen. And you're going to go where they're actually going to tell the truth and spread the information. And and I also want to, I just wonder, like, what, since when have the kids not been the common ground? Like, no matter what affiliation you are or what your thought process is, it's like, like you said, Josie, we are here representing our, 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 our children. It's not any side, you know, why do they just go 
to those labels. It's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, it didn't work well in Virginia either, right? Let's remember that when when that when when they tried to do this in 2021, the just like you said, Chelsea, when they were politicizing this in 2021, it didn't go well for the left. <laughs> did not go well for the left. There was a red wave that swept through a purple state, right? And 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 the polling showed so much of this was over parental rights in the classroom. You that they don't own your kids. You, your kids belong to you as the parent, not to the school, not to the school board. And you have every right, parents, to show up and speak on behalf of your children and your family. So I want to ask you, Chelsea, Josie, were you at there? Were you there? I know there was a school board meeting last night. What were you both there? I'd love to hear what were you there advocating for specifically? What were you bringing to the table last night? So I wanted to speak on the budget because I knew that they were going to be reviewing it. And that's been a really hot topic. And I had been um, trying to meet up with Jarrell Lewis, our Title IX uh, coordinator. But of course, you know, phone calls are evading and that kind of thing, which I think the Lord worked it out perfectly because I was able to send him an email with a series of questions that I had because I did go down to central office. I did speak with uh, John Henry, our Title IX investigator. There's only three people in our Title IX department, and I spoke with two-thirds of them um, because Jarrell Lewis was not in that day. And so my whole question was pinned around this one central theme that when I met with John Henry and, you know, just wanted to find out, okay, tell me what your job description is. And he was very well-versed in anything and, and everything relating to sexual abuse claims and reports and the policies and the stair-step approach. I mean, he all but gave me a four-minute dissertation on it. But then when I asked him about the gender support plan, the specific meeting, you know, the, the thought process of we may or may not tell parents on a case-by-case -case basis, he's like, oh, I don't know anything about that. Jarrell handles the transgender stuff. I just do what they tell me. He went from an expert to knowing nothing in the matter of one question. So I emailed Jarrell and I asked him, is he not supposed to know about, because harassment is harassment. If a transgender child is being harassed, he better know how to handle it. That, that's what he was hired for, right? You know, and, and am I wrong in that? Like, what's his role? So I just read from my email, which I had a printed copy for all of them, but they weren't taking any paperwork from the speakers last night. And I read Jarrell's response, which was this, the Title IX investigator role is to investigate reports of sexual and gender-based harassment and discrimination. Mr. Henry was not as knowledgeable about supporting LGBTQ plus students because that is simply not his responsibility based on the needs of New Hanover County Schools as an organization. Okay, so this has come uh, two months post data retention um, from the Title IX survey, a year and a half after you've implemented a gender support plan that you may or may not tell students about. And now the head of our Title IX department is saying that our own investigator, we don't have a need as a county to make sure that he knows about it, but you're your kids better know about it. Your teachers better be educated on it. We better put the material in all of your classrooms, but our own investigator that's supposed to be protecting your children, whether they're gay, straight, or transgender, doesn't need to know about it because there's no need of the county. Where are our funds going? I found out from Stephanie Adams when I spoke with her 
I said, tell me how everything is funded and what you as a board approve. And she said, and I will make sure that I'm accurate on this. She said that if something costs $300,000 or more, it goes to the board for approval. If not, if it's under $300,000, then it is then turned over to our superintendent and he has to give his blessing on it for it to be approved. I have no idea how much all of this cost them, but somebody somewhere had to approve it. And per the own admission of our superintendent last night, he said, we are literally out in the parking lot counting pennies right now. So if you're that tight and hard up on your budget, why did we spend all this money on something? And are we going to continue to spend money on something that your own Title IX coordinator said that our county doesn't even have a need for the very own investigator to be abreast of that information? It oh. makes absolute no sense to me. And it proves an agenda. It proves an agenda of indoctrination of our students. It proves that they're misappropriating funds to force teachers to be educated on something when they need to be focused on reading, writing, math, and science. Um, and it proves that um, that you're, you're allocating your resources into a hidden agenda that has nothing to do with our county. So I want answers. Of course, I'm probably not going to get any, but it just, it's amazing it's amazing how when people are not telling the truth um, and how they have their own personal agendas, you, you will end, end up incriminating yourself because you can oh, only yeah. follow it for so long. Yeah. And I have it in writing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was my main topic as it relates to our budget, because we have a year and a half of this, but now we're crying because we can't, we, we have to penny pinch. It makes absolute no sense. And to me, all of these programs should be wiped across the board. What, what a disservice that does to our amazing guidance counselors who are trained, properly trained and educated on how to handle any and every situation that a student would bring to them. Are we just going to throw guidance counselors to out the door because we're going to create special interest groups within our school system to handle things that we don't have a need for our investigator to know about? It raises a lot of questions. And that's what and, I brought up at the school board. And Chelsea, one of the questions, um, when this gender support plan surfaced, I had a conversation with Jarrell Lewis and I said, here's my main concern. You are saying there are things in the form of discrimination that we are not going to tell parents about. I want a list of all the things that our school district is intentionally not saying that's happening in a you know sexual discrimination, what we're not implying. I don't care just the transgender. I want a whole list because if you're telling me that's this is what the open and middle, you're telling me that there are instances in which our school system is justifying not getting our parents involved in the name of discrimination. I, that's what blew my mind. And I said, Mr. Lewis, I know it's election season, so things are going to get heated. But that is my biggest issue with this whole thing is you are saying there's a list of things that the school is okay with not telling parents about. And I want to know that well, whole list. And to piggyback on that, when I was speaking with Stephanie Adams, and again, I recorded the conversation as well, because I don't ever want to misspeak. I want to make sure that what I'm saying, I can back up with facts and truth. Um, I will not speculate on anything. Um, but when I spoke with her, she said, you know, Chelsea, we've had over two decades of this cover-up culture, you know, all of these sexual abuse claims. And I said, I know. And she's like, you know, so we have to really protect. And I said, okay, well, let's talk to the parents of the victims. Do you think they want one ounce of information kept from them, being that it was kept from them for over 20 years? I said, I said, if I was a parent 
of one of those victims, you better believe, you better tell me every single thing. So here you are creating a program that is supposed to protect the students, yet you're keeping information, which is why you have a lawsuit anyways against you, because, and you're doing it in the name of justice for all the discrepancies in the sexual abuse claims, yet you're doing the same thing that you've got a lawsuit against you for right now. Well, and I I'm wanna clarify, it's the name of inclusion. Well, it's in the name of say. inclusion that we're going to do that this gender support plan and therefore keeping parents um, who just the ones that they deem fit, not appropriate to talk about. And that's where I have a problem with the, the whole equity, diversity and inclusion committee. Um, the start and the idea of what it is and what's actually happened through is not the same thing. And I cannot stand behind it because of that. And so um, it's it's really concerning. And I spoke about serving our children because I have seen the results of what serving our children is doing and how they're making changes. And that's changes in curriculum, changes in teacher development and in the supports. So that Title IX survey was given to sixth through 12th grade. Um, 8,669 started it. Only 8,046 finished it. Um, we have roughly 12,000 secondary kids. From that, we are implementing LGBTQ plus supports in elementary school. Makes your question, is this gender identity plan going to be in there? Um, the other thing that we're doing is we're implementing pre-K and beyond sexual abuse prevention curriculum. Okay, this gives me a red flag. And um, the reason why is because we have a history of sexual abuse and cover up. So I do not personally want my children involved. What makes it even worse, in my opinion, is they're saying, we don't know if we're going to make this an opt-in policy or an opt-out. And I said, for sexual education for sixth graders and beyond, you're making it a permission slip in. And so now you're telling me for pre-K, pre-K and beyond sex abuse prevention curriculum, you're going to say, oh, don't worry, parents can opt out if you want. The inconsistencies of what we're seeing doesn't make sense and doesn't align. And I said, and quite frankly, um, I'm not a bad parent for speaking up and voicing these concerns because while I respect teachers and I care about the profession, I do not want a full class discussion about appropriate sexual, you know, sexual age appropriate sexual things, knowing that gender identity has been a topic that's been encompassed into into discussion for sexual education. And so I said, I, I personally don't feel comfortable with it. I know some people are comfortable with it. However, I believe it needs to be a permission slip in to be consistent with New Hanover County because we need to be telling our parents, yes, we're gonna be having sex ed abuse prevention curriculum in, for three-year-olds. Uh, and they're implementing that in the fall of 2022, but that came as a result from the Title IX survey. Mm, that is insane. Okay, so for, for some of y'all that, that may not know this, like I know that we just found this out like last month, but part of this gender support is in New Hanover County is that they're saying that they are going to, um, for kids who are wanting to transition, maybe not physically, but mentally, maybe they feel like the pronouns, like they want to they be, wanna be identified as this, identified or, if they're, yeah. if it's a boy, but they want to be identified as the girl, but um, that they are going to be, they're going to be teachers in the schools um, on this support in this support group that help these kids facilitate that without telling the parents if they feel like the parents like if the kid says oh my mom will never understand this um, I mean what 12 year old 13 year old girl boy is going to say that their parents are going to understand anything parents, parents anything don't you remember that Will Smith song parents just don't understand <laughs> that was my jam but parents just don't understand right so like what 
nobody's going to want to tell their, their parent. And so the school, our school system is basically putting these teachers in charge of helping kids live this life. Like helping keep secrets. Right. So Kristen and I have talked about it and we're like, okay, um, you know, you can, you can see that, you know, what is the other side to that argument? Like, okay, well, kids, they don't feel safe at home expressing their true selves. Like their parents, they could get a, you know, if they, if there, if there is, if there is a what red is, flag for abuse or if there's something there, that is when the guidance counselor or the therapist, that is, that's their job. And that's their role to recognize that and to bring families in and do an intervention or get DSS involved or something like that. Like that, that is important. So when you try to play devil's advocate, there are kids that may be at risk at home. There are kids that are afraid and could legitimately be abused physically, mentally, emotionally, if they come out and, that is where there needs to be something, but not to keep a secret, but to actually like have a plan for the family and to keep that child safe. Because if that child feels unsafe talking to their parents about that, they're probably scared to talk to them about other things too. And I know, I, I don't know because I have not gone through this, but I definitely have family and friends that have gone through this. I can't imagine how hard it would be to be in that that situation and to have those feelings and not know how to express them okay but i don't think it's the schools and and bless the teachers why add more to their plate and why add more to that like they are there to learn and if there's another whole psychosocial aspect there then that needs to be taken somewhere else or they need to have some kind of an intervention but not to keep more secrets that's not going to help how is that going to help it's not. And I've got two thoughts on that. Number one, when you talk about gender identity, it is in direct relation as to who you will be physically, emotionally, and sexually attracted to. That is a conversation that should be reserved for the parent and their child. Because if you were talking with that with a minor, because it eventually leads to that. Because when we look at the things that are on bulletin boards at schools in New Hanover County and how it addresses your physical and emotional attraction, that leads to sex. So here's my concern as a parent is that I do not believe that any adult outside of the parent should be talking with a minor about something that is leading to sex down the road and gender identity and who you're attracted to is directly linked with that. And so that's where the terms of grooming come in. That's where the terms of sexual abuse come in because it is truly dangerous to exclude a parent from their child who is a minor from that topic of discussion, especially when we have a history of sexual abuse. And I say this all the time. I am, I am advocating for every single child, because if you have a child that feels they are identifying as trans, they are at such a high risk to be potentially molested or to be introduced through pedophilia down the road because it's, oh, well, let's take this person over here. Well, I've been through it and, and I know what you've gone through and let me help you. I know your parents don't understand, but I understand. Tell me yeah. how that protects the child because it does not. The second thing I will say to that is I talked about this with Stephanie Adams and she said, you know, we had a student, you know, uh, in the past and he was a high school student and he was going to school and he was changing clothes because he identifies as a female, but he was breaking dress code because of the type of clothes that he was wearing and the parents had to be involved and they just weren't supportive. And I said, Stephanie, I said, without telling me 
specifics of the child, was there physical evidence of abuse? Was there physical evidence that this child was cutting himself, hurting himself, was suicidal? Was DSS called? I asked these same questions and she said, no. I said, then you do not have the right as a school board and as an educational department to go, oh, we're not going to let the parents deal with that one. That is the parent's right. I said, if DSS is not called, then you cannot overstep your role and have an overreach of power into the allowing the parent to parent how they see fit. And so that is where we have to draw the line because what's happening in this school system and what we're seeing across the country is that school boards and certain people in the midst of that, and I don't want to say every single person on our school board, but there's a huge handful on our school board that are going, no, this is all right. We're going to protect the kids. And we're, well, you cannot fracture the relationship between the child and a parent. It is absolutely abhorrent and it's against the law. And so you've got to look at that because if you truly are going to protect the children, every, every licensed therapist and psychologist will tell you. And I know this because I am a divorced parent. And when you sit down in mediations and you sit down with therapists, the first thing they tell you as parents, they say, you cannot keep secrets or encourage your children to keep secret from the other parent because it develops a culture of secrecy that heaven forbid some form of abuse, sexual or physical happens down the road. They will keep it from you. They will keep it from everybody and the abuse will continue and it will, it will manifest into deep psychological and emotional trauma. So if this is being told to us by licensed therapists and psychologists, why are they not implementing that within the school system? Exactly. And that is so well said, because I do yes. think everybody needs to remember the parent-child relationship trumps everything, whether you personally agree with how a parent is raising their children. And I can tell you, we can all say, we have seen parents make mistakes with their children in a myriad of ways of making decisions we personally maybe wouldn't make, or they thought we were making choices they personally wouldn't make from their curfew what activities they're allowed to engage in, what they get away with saying, how they talk and speak to their parents, their teachers. Parents get to decide what they permit their children to do and not do, and that can't change. And as you pointed out, it is the law. And so these things, when it starts to be, well, we can step in here and parent the child for you when we think you are not doing what you need to do. That is just dead wrong. That is, unless well, there's also, a abuse involved, physical, right. sexual abuse involved. But exactly. I think, I think from their point of view, I think what's happening too is there are a lot of kids whose parents are not involved at right. all. They have no, their parents are in jail, not concerned, drug addicts. You know, you have kids in this county that are homeless, sleeping in hotel rooms. And so they're coming in and swooping in and saying, well, these kids need support. And so, because they don't have, you know, all of us here are good parents, right? We, we are, but right. like, there are a lot of parents that are not good parents. And so overstepping the good parents, um, rights in right. the name of the kids who don't have parents rights or don't have parents that care. It's just like, it's just, that's, so that's where the issue is. And I love that you said the line, I have been talking to people 
about we need to reestablish where the line is. And so I was able to participate in a conversation to um, at the John Locke Foundation about a parental bill of rights, because I believe that it's something that I've seen trampled on over the last year and a half. And my whole thing that I've told people is this, is I understand that parents are going to parent differently. And there are topics that are very divisive and very different of opinion as far as what age is appropriate, how it's appropriate to be talked about, when it's appropriate to be talked about. And it's the school system to understand and respect that that's going to look different. And so to stay neutral on it, you know, stay on academics and then don't even open the door to this. But it's it's a shift in culture. It's a shift in the purpose of what schools are. And we are seeing it at a state level and even, even at a federal level too, because the shift in narrative has been, we need to develop the whole child. And when you do that, you're allowing the school to make decisions and, and essentially in the name of inclusion, bypassing parents for the best interest of the kid. Where that becomes an issue, when you cross over the bridge from academics into child development, that is going to look different. And what we think is acceptable, what we think is right, what we think is morally object for every single person. I have really good friends that we get along really well with. Our kids mostly have the same points, but we do things differently because we're different, we're human. And so that's where, when I talk about the line and where I talk about justification of having access to curriculum and transparency and intentionality, when we're teaching different things, when we're serving, when we're doing whatever we're doing, that's where my problem comes into play. It's not because I hate my teachers. It's not because I hate my kids' teachers. I think there genuinely are good teachers out there. I think there are genuinely good teachers out there, but opening the door to talk about topics like social injustice and stereotypes and gender identity allows for the people who are political activists, who are strongly motivated in, um, in a targeted way to dominate the conversation, which may or may not agree with different parents. And as a parent, if you push back, you get labeled. I'm, I'm, I'm not supportive. I'm not this. And, you know, we have to understand that this is supposed to be, supposed to be a mutually beneficial relationship with parents and teachers working together for our kids. And that disconnect has, that ship has sailed and the disconnect is there. And so I would really, um, I'm really hoping to see legislation come in and I'm happy to help be a part of the conversation to continue that pathway so that parents have access. And the biggest thing when I was having the conversation is I want to see accountability. What happens as a parent when my kid comes home and talks to me about a situation that the school crosses boundaries? Where is my right in that? Because there should be an accountability piece of saying, here's the expectations for our teachers when they don't meet those expectations and they cross a boundary. How can I be supportive as a parent? Because right now I get berated. Right now, if I speak up about something, I get ridiculed and um, I'm not going to stop talking because I think that we need to have an open dialogue with the people in charge, both on a local and a state level. But that's where the disconnect for me is. And so knowing that some of this stuff is happening, teacher and parents feeling like, well, I can't talk back or the teacher's going to hate my kid. That's horrible. That's not professional. Like if we're talking about wanting to treat teachers as professionals and we have parents who are saying, if I say something, then my child will be ridiculed by their teacher. That's shameful to the profession. Well, and unfortunately, Josie, that's happening in I some know. of our schools, not in all of our schools, but it is happening in some of our schools where the children are being ostracized by their teachers because the parents are speaking up. And mm -hmm. again, it's hard to imagine, 
but it's absolutely happening. And the last thing I'll say to this is, you know, I have worked like boots on the ground in the, our Creekwood community with these amazing children. Um, I have a very good grasp on our underserved areas in this community. Those children who do not have a parental unit, um, they are just like our children that are gay or transgender. They are they are our high risk children across the board. This is where doing things the right way with our guidance counselors who are trained to handle these issues, we need to let them do their job because yeah. they're there for that reason. And I want to say it needs to be individually. Social emotional learning has been one of those topics that um, we've been incorporating and talking about the need for it. And social emotional learning basically creates an entire class environment to discuss these things. What you're talking about, Chelsea, and I wholeheartedly agree with you, our kids who are at risk need to have that availability to a counselor one-on-one. -on -one. Because when you're talking about targeted intervention, it's just like an individualized education plan. You need to give um, and meet the needs of a child independently. But when you're talking a group therapy session, essentially, it's going to look very different because our experiences are very different. And when you open the door to beyond academics to trying to develop a child, um, it's it's a very uh, slippery slope. And I'm not a I'm not a fan of it. So, well, I do I do want to ask you because I know we have to wrap this up shortly. But I, you know, we're I, I thank you first of all for disclosing what you're seeing. Chelsea, as you said, boots on the ground, what you're seeing in person, what you can verify for us that's actually happening from what you can see. What do you suggest every parent in who is who can hear our voices? How and what can we do? Say, where where can we go meet a need to help right the ship? This seems to be going off, you know, the cliff at the moment. What what do we need to do? How can we make a difference? Yeah. I think the first thing is you cannot be afraid to dive in um, because for fear of retribution. You know, you cannot be afraid of that. So my whole hope in all of this is the more people are going, whoa, this is happening. I mean, I've had thousands of people from around the country, people I know, people I don't know that are like, I asked my daughter, I started looking back at the newsletters. I started looking back at the emails. Oh my goodness, they're doing this here. They're doing that there. You wouldn't believe what's happening medically um, in the medical field. I believe we need a, a parental bill, bill of rights for education and medical. That's a completely different topic of conversation for another day. But if we can start the dialogue as parents to go, no, 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 I'm going to now know the right kind of questions to ask. Um, you have a right by our sunshine law in the state of North Carolina, you by law, you can request any and any type of um, official record of what's an official record. Okay, well, it can be any email correspondence, it can be any um, survey, it can be any document, our media can request whatever they want, because there are current our local media, state media, if you're a citizen of the state of North Carolina, you're entitled to ask for it as well. What's amazing is when I asked Jarrell for the Title IX survey, he couldn't give it to me. It's against the law. Then I went through just a week and a half ago 
on the New Hanover County site because I went through the Attorney General's office um, because they have an open government policy. They cannot give me districted information, so they sent me to the New Hanover County School website. So I filled out those formal requests for the same policy. They told me that it had already been fulfilled and given to me. Yet when Ann McAdams, our WECT investigative reporter, sent an email to get a hard copy of the Title IX survey that I had been requesting for the past six and a half months, she got it within minutes. Shut up. So mm -hmm, I have email proof. So knowing that you have rights, and if you feel that those rights and the law has been broken, document everything, put everything in writing, make sure that you have proof of what you're speaking on so that you can back it up. That is the biggest thing right now. Ask the questions, go through the appropriate channels. And if the law is not being followed, then document that data so that you have a record that your rights are being infringed upon. Great advice. Well, I'm gonna say too, real quick, and just before we ask Josie this question that, in the past five days since we uploaded your rumble with Candace Owens, you've had over 24,000 views on this rumble in five days. So parents are, um, they're listening, they're yeah. watching, and more and more people are going to start, you know, asking these questions and diving in and trying to figure out, like you said, all these people are coming to you saying, well, now I'm realizing this or I'm seeing that. Like people are watching and people are listening. So. That's right. Josie, I know you're, I mean, you're running for school board sister. So, I mean, you clearly are going all in and if not all of us want to run for school board, no. so <laughs> we're, we're thankful for the mamas like, and daddies like you who do, but what can the average parent do? Um, anything that you would add to what Chelsea said? And I also want to just add to what Chelsea said. If you are afraid to speak out because of the consequences, you're being bullied, mm -hmm. you're being bullied. And, and what, what does your parents teach you about bullies? What do your parents teach you? You do not, you do not concede to the bullies. You don't, That's you right. don't kill the bullies. You speak and out. Here, here I am. And this is why. And so, um, you know, you say that it, it takes people like you guys to support me in my journey because I am willing to have the hard conversations. I have been having the hard conversations and I will continue to open the door to these conversations, not because I'm hateful. Not because I am discriminatory, not because I'm a bigot, not because I'm a racist, not because I'm a transphobic. It's because I value the entity of public education. So to start for parents is I would say this is, first of all, don't let fear stop you from doing something. Okay. If I went into the mentality of thinking that my kids are going to be retributed, have retribution upon them, then I would take avenues to fight back that because that's not right either. Okay. Um, and so the second for me has been the biggest push is accessibility. Just like Chelsea said, we have a right to access it. I shouldn't even have to ask. It should be very transparent. If we are implementing these things and we're not um, proud or can't share them, then we should be asking ourselves, why are we doing it? And so what I have seen, and I know this because I worked in education, is there are mandatory district expectations as well as state level. And so what I have been really engaging on is working on not only a local dialogue, but a state level dialogue. And I think it's going to take a collaboration, just like Chelsea said, of getting um, 
getting the words and right questions to ask. Same thing with our school boards across the state. We need to have people willing to step up and be a part of the conversation at a state level so that they can hear these things that are going on so that we can connect the disconnects of this is what we wanted. This is how it's being implemented. This is what's being overshadowed. And so when you are open to constructive feedback, um, and understand that what your vision for a program is not what's happening, uh, that's when we need to change and we need to change course. And so that's when I have conversations why I'm having them is because I'm trying to establish those disconnects and create a dialogue of why. So versus just, you know, pitchfork into the nail of, no, I don't want to see these things happen, but I have good justification for why I don't think they should happen. And that's going to be the biggest game changer when we're trying to make effective change is because we need to have those tangible things to bring forward. And so I would continue to share them and engage in dialogue. I love that. Well, I'm personally thankful for you two and the difference that you're making. You know, it all starts with passion to, to protect and help your own children. But by you doing what you're doing, you're helping thousands of children and parents feel emboldened to do the same. It's the very reason we started this podcast. No, we didn't want to stick our necks on the line and dive into territory that people can, there can be backlash and cancel culture and all the things we're well aware of that come with the consequences of speaking out. Mm -hmm. But like you guys have said, we try to stay focused on facts, what we can prove, what's the truth, because that united us. We came from across the political spectrum, but we were united in what we could find to be true, what we wanted for our families, what we wanted for our country, right? And so thank you for what you're doing. We're gonna keep following both of you, obviously, to see uh, the waves and that you continue to make um, in, in, in the places in which you're serving. And uh, we encourage our listeners, do the same. You don't have to start a podcast. You don't have to run for school board. You don't have to go on Candace Owens. Uh, but <laughs> you do. You do need to speak up. Speak up. And because there's so many of you that feel the same way. And yeah. there are certain mediums out there that will never let you know that. They're hey. only going to cover the people who disagree with you. There are so many of you. Please be emboldened and encouraged to do your part. Ladies, thank you so much for being on. We appreciate you so much. Thank yes. you for having us. And Kristen, you need to plug that Rumble account, sister. Well, I also wanted to say, just to add to that, your voice matters. Every voice matters and your vote matters. And if there's anything that we can say too is local voting matters. That's one thing that Amy and I you didn't know how important it was until recently too. So just speaking up because it does. Once we started speaking up, even though I get censored, you would be surprised at how many people say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I felt like I was alone. So you are not alone. And once you start talking out, trust me, the people who leave, they don't need to be with you anyway. The people who come, those are who need to be with you. Okay. But I do want to like um, direct y'all to, we did create, I think we talked about this, this last time, a new website is coming. But right now we have a Rumble account and we've been working on putting a lot of our, a lot of great videos in there. Um, anytime y'all share them, we try to screen record, put them in there. So that way you have a whole library of information because that's another thing too, is a lot of times 
you don't feel not in addition to our Google Docs and sources that we have, we want you to be armed with facts and information. And honestly, Chelsea and Josie, anything that y'all can send to us, some links we can add to our Google Docs for the resources, that would be fantastic because we are always here to, to share facts, okay? And we want you to be armed with those. Right. Well, thank you ladies so much, Chris and Amy. Always a pleasure. We'll see you guys next week. All right. Thank y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.